and be sure to stay connected with us on social media. Have a great week. So um, last week we took up uh, the cards for the building fund and I was extremely pleased, pretty uh, amazed really, at how many of you are contributing to this and, and at what levels and things like this. Um, this, is, this is exciting for us. This is how we're going to move forward with uh, our expansion and all the uh, stuff that we're trying to accomplish and uh, so, if you say, "Well, I didn't, I didn't fill mine out yet," or we were going, I forgot, or whatever, you can, you can still do that. Obviously, we, there's never going to be a time where, like, no, please, the the uh, building fund is closed. You can no longer give. Um, so the the cards will be outside. I think you've got some cards in your seats, or will be in the next couple of weeks, that you can fill out, look at, see what you want to do, and uh, and just be contributing to this on a monthly basis. As we look forward. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get to all the, the final pieces of this, what we did last week, and over the next few weeks, and we're going to put all that together and present that to you. And then we're going to, at the business meeting, we're going to present that in a lot more detail. We're going to have time to discuss, talk, and all that kind of stuff so you can figure out what's going on. And that's going to be the last Wednesday night of March. Um, but all of this stuff is uh, it's just, it's, uh, just us moving forward. So I, I did have, I did have uh, a couple different people, families, couples, whatever, last uh, week at, not tell me directly, but tell somebody else <clears throat> that they were uh, kind of frustrated because they couldn't sit in the back last week. They had to move up and I think had to sit on the first or second row or something like that. Um, so here's a couple things about that. <clears throat> this is why you would want to give to the building fund. <laughs> Correct? Right? Because when we expand and we double more, we'll more than double our seats, you can sit as far back as you desire. Um, here's another option. First service is way more open than second service, so you can always do that. Um, but, yes, you have to get up earlier, like way later than you normally get up for work every day, but it is still earlier. So, And another, uh, another um, thing that we just, we just were kind of talking, some of us around here talking about the building fund and talking about what we're trying to do. We're, we're just kind of spitballing on this right now. This isn't like set in stone or anything, but we're thinking about having a building fund fundraiser where the farther back you sit, you have to pay for those seats, <laughs> right? I mean, then that makes sense, right? So like Brian back there in the very back, He's going to have to drop a couple grand to sit back there. <laughs> but you know what, Brian? Up here. There you go. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> so, so the question is, does she want to sit up here? Or she just got no money? <laughs> so, so the closer up, cheap seats, all the way to the front, free. These are free. These are all free up here. So we're just, we're just thinking about that. We're not, we're not doing that yet. We'll see. Um, so some things. You've, you've probably seen a lot of this stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to figure out, trying to limit what I'm saying during this time frame because there's so much that's going on. Um, a lot of you have been asking me about, you know, what about the, the Chinese balloons, right, the spy balloons? I don't really think I have to say anything about that. China's watching us. We're letting them. That's how simple that is, right? But here's some things about the vaccine that has been coming out this week. The last two or three weeks, we've got a lot of information that's been happening. And for some reason, they keep going back and asking Fauci what he thinks about uh, all of this stuff. But the CDC, I think the NIH was on board with this, but Fauci was saying that the vaccines that, that we have now found out, that the vaccines are not that effective against COVID. Wow. Now, here's the thing. This part, this next part, I've been saying this for a, a, at least a year here. This is what they said. The vaccines are not that effective against COVID, but will probably be very effective against the upcoming bird flu. So what is this? This is just another potential lockdown controlling kind of thing that's coming up. Right here's the biggest thing, and this one is kind of uh, uh, frightening, surprising kind of thing. Not surprising, but frightening. 
a bunch of uh, cardiologists got together, quite a few hundred cardiologists got together and made this, um, this group, this coalition that is trying to educate uh, parents specifically, but people in general, but parents of teenagers that are involved in sports, in school, and like um, um, college and things like that. So teens to early 20s, that if the, if the child has had a vaccine, that they need to get that child checked out, not just by a PA, but by a cardiologist. And this is, we're seeing this all over the place where these, these top tier athletes that are, that are in their early, mid-20s in, in all sports across the world are just dropping dead on the field. And, and, and everybody's saying, well, this probably has nothing to do with uh, the vaccine. And because of HIPAA, we won't even talk about that. The real reason we won't talk about it is because everybody knows this is the problem. And we're seeing all of this evidence that is showing what's going on in the veins and, and um, even in the, in the heart because of this vaccine. And so cardiologists are saying, if you've got teenagers that have, that have had the, the vaccine, you need to get them checked out by um, a cardiologist because there are very specific potential dangers that are happening to our kids because of the vaccine all across the country, really all across the world. Um, and, and, I mean, I know we're not talking about it. It's like we're not supposed to do it. But, guys, this is serious. This is People are losing their lives constantly because of this thing. So, so if you guys would <clears throat> um, uh, do this for me, why don't you all stand with me? No, we're not getting out early today. <clears throat> um, you, I, I, don't, I don't want you, like, moving around the building or anything like that, but just the person next to you, just grab their hand, and uh, we want to pray for them, okay? Pray for those on their left and right. And here's, here's what we're trying to accomplish is, um, and, and this, is, this is part of my message. This is my message, but God, God knows every single one of us in this room. He knows every single thing we're going through. And you can pray for somebody on your right or your left. You don't have to know what they're going through. God does, right? But we got stuff. We got things. So just pray for your person on your right and your left, and let's just um, ask God to help them also see um, God has a plan for them. He's pretty big. He knows what he's doing, right? So let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you because you love us. You've got a plan for us. Lord, that you have that you created us, that you even knew us before the foundations of the world. And that, Lord, that you specifically designed us for direction, purpose. And that, Lord, we, we just want to be exactly who you want us to be. Lord, as, as Pastor Rick mentioned earlier, you're our, you're our Father. You, you've got the plan. You've got the covering. You've got the protection. You've got all the stuff. But, Lord, help us to see it from your perspective from your words perspective and not just how we create this and uh, lord we submit to you in the name of jesus we pray amen all right you can be seated if you like <clears throat> you can stay standing i guess if you want <laughs> yeah everybody's a comedian <laughs> Now, if you come stand up beside me, we'll give you money. Now, don't, don't Linda, stay sitting down, please. Don't. <laughs> All right. Guys, here's, here's what we're looking at is continue with this, 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 um, this whole thing I've been unfolding over the last few weeks. Um, this, we're going to go more into the uh, practical, but, but not really. You'll see. I mean, it's practical, but it's a, it's a spiritual pragmatism that, that transcends really like our, our physical pragma, pragmatism sometimes. Um, but this, so we take these last few weeks and we say, okay, this is the foundation that we're building now for us to look at, cause I'm going to focus more on purpose today. As we look at purpose and we look at direction and planning and all this other kind of stuff, what does that look like? Well, we have to have, have that built upon all this other stuff, right? You can't, you, you, well, I'll get into that, but you, you've got to have these things established and saying, this is what, this is what my life is built on. And this is why. This is why I can move forward in this direction or accomplish these kind of things. So going back to this, that we want to be the, the people that God created us to be, that we want to be people of faith, we want to be people of witness, and we want to be people of purpose. And again, like I said, I'm going to focus more on um, kind of the purpose side of this today. So, so ask yourself, 
how, what, what is your plan? What is, what is your plan for? And, and then you choose. Now, when I say that, you, you will automatically um, start thinking in a direction that a plan for you is important right now, or that's, this is a priority, or this is like a stressor in your life or whatever. And so when I say, what is your plan, without trying to, you will automatically begin to mentally go down the road of something you've already been processing, like an urgency thing, or a, like maybe you're looking at uh, buying a new house. Well, that, what is your plan? That's where you'll go to. Um, we're, we're, we're looking at having kids. That's where your brain will go to. I'm just throwing some subliminals out there. So, we're, you know, so this is what will happen is that the different things in your life, you'll say, well, this is my plan. And this is where, because this is a stressor, this is, a, this is an urgency in your life, whatever the case is. And that's good, but I want us to broaden this out quite a bit here and really look at some different areas of life. What is your plan? What is, what, what is, what is your, in, uh, starting with, what is your spiritual plan? Are you okay with spiritually being where you're at a year from now that you are right now? Are, is, that, is that good? In my thinking, we should never, none of us should ever be okay with that. What is your plan? Where are you trying to get to? What's the direction? What's the goal? What's the spiritual plan? What about, um, <clears throat> uh, what about family ideas and plans, right? Uh, marriage. Are you okay right now if, you're, if your marriage is the exact same a year from now that it, a year from now than it is right now, is that okay for you? Um, quite honestly, guys, if you, if you own this, if you just own this a little bit right here, most of us in this room are probably saying, yeah, I'm okay with that. It's not horrible. Right? Um, I was at this political thing all day yesterday, and, and as we were getting toward the end, it was 9 o'clock last night by the time I got home, and when I was... Uh, Doing this, we were sitting around. We were we were doing things with a bunch of people, and they, we were at a restaurant because we were having to finish up at a restaurant. And and uh, they're all ordering food and all this stuff. And they said, "You're not going to order anything." I said, "My wife just took a picture and sent it to me. She is making me homemade tortillas at home. I'm not ordering anything from IHOP. <laughs> they don't make homemade tortillas at IHOP. So, am I okay with my marriage being the same as it is a year from now that it is now?" In some aspects, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> but, uh, but, guys, here's the thing is we're, we've got struggles. We've got issues. What about the, the, your family, your children? Are you, okay, are you okay with your kids on the trajectory that they are on right now? Is that going to be good a year from now or is it not? What are, we, what are we teaching, developing, training? How much time are we spending with them if, if anywhere, as a, as a mom and a dad right now, you're saying in your head, oh, I haven't spent enough time, or I should do this, or well, then you can, you can change that. But if you don't have an intentional plan to change that, a year from now, it's going to be the same or worse. No, nothing's going to be different. I, I hear parents all the time, well, we're going we're gonna to try to spend more time um, at the dinner table with the kids. Well, how do you do that? Do you have a plan for that? What's the plan to make that happen? Well, we're going to pray with our kids more. What's the plan to make that happen? Bless you. What's the plan? What, what is your plan? Are you, are you going to, how do you accomplish that? Right? Here's, let's broaden out a little bit more. What about your workplace? What is your plan for your workplace? We've got a lot of different people in our church that have, have been starting businesses and own their own businesses and things like that. So what is your business plan? Do you have one? Because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some stuff about that today. Okay? Now, we talked about this quite a bit <clears throat> Wednesday night. And uh, one of the main things that kind of came up Wednesday night and was, everybody was talking about is that, um, that we, we, do, we do a lot of planning. We do a lot of stuff. But how much of it do we really include God in? Well, that is the direction I'm taking this this morning. Now, some of you know, some of you may not know, but both my master's and my doctorate in is, is in leadership. And one of the things that I learned in, the, in I guess that's probably eight years of, of education is um, most of the leadership that we're doing is a waste of time. 
We have too much, and specifically within the church, we have too much leadership teaching and planning. You say, well, we don't have enough. You know, my, guys, we, we are substituting sermons. In sermons now, we are substituting a nice leadership, motivational speech, or a directional model for how you can have a little bit better life. And so you may have a little bit of an uptick over the next month or two after that if you do that stuff. But it's, there's not, it's not spiritual transformation. It's not, it's not true life change. We're just getting a little bit of self-help stuff along the way. Well, Jesus was not about a little bit of self-help stuff. He's the one who stood in front of people and said, I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am, the only, uh, I am life. The only way you can get to God is through me. That's, that's not a little life uptick plan. That's, that's life surrendering. That's life transformation. And so to really think through, God, what, are your, what, is, what is the plan? What, am I, what is your plan for me? What are my plans for this or whatever? And all the different areas of life. What is the plan? What are you doing right now that, that next week or next week or next week or a month from now or six months from now, you, let me say it this way first. There's a lot of very specific things in Scripture when it comes to plans, okay? Um, there are detailed plans written out in Scripture that God has for his people. <clears throat> very detailed, very, very detailed stuff. Okay, here's, here's some of them. We, we came up with a lot more Wednesday night, but here's some of them. The temple, tabernacle and the temple. God has some very specific plans. And he, and he does this down to like the very inch and what kind of metals to use in this place. And I mean, very, very, very specifically detailed stuff. Um, he does this with uh, the ark, Noah's ark. Noah had never built a boat. Nobody had built a boat. They didn't even know what a boat was. I always think about this, this, this VeggieTales thing. Literally 20, 20, 25 years ago, a VeggieTales statement comes in my mind all the time because my kids watched VeggieTales, and, and so did I because they're cool. But, but um, this, this, you know, it's supposed to be in the times of uh, David. I think it was King David, and somebody said, I'm so hungry I could eat a spaceship. And somebody else says, what's a spaceship? And then they says, I have no idea. That little phrase right there sticks in my head all the time. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, a lot of the things in Scripture, we have no idea. No, God said, Noah wants you to build a boat. And Noah's like, I'm all about it, God. What's a boat? <laughs> and then he gave him very detailed instructions. Ark of the Covenant, very detailed instructions. Think about this, the plan of salvation, the cross. By the time we get to the cross, think about how many centuries, even thousands of years of plans had been laid out and prophesied about detail by detail, where and when he was going to be born, all the different things about um, his birth and his life and everything, and the exact day when the cross was going to happen. On Passover, there was no... There was no maneuverability here. God had a very specific plan. And you can go through all of this stuff in Scripture where there's this very specific plan. And interestingly, here's the key, is all of those plans all have the same goal. And it's for you and I to know God. That's the, that's the goal. That's the plan. So when he designs the temple, extremely intricate, detailed plans, it's for us to know him. Obviously, when he plans the cross, it's for us to know him. And so then when it comes to you and I developing plans, we, we have this very easy, natural way to do this. It's very human nature. Is we set aside God, we set aside all of the, 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 the spiritual, scriptural stuff, all the things I've been talking about over the last few weeks, prayer, God's word, holiness, financial stuff, all this. We set all uh, God aside out of all of that, and we say, okay, now I need to have a plan. What is my plan? And then we look to, you know, seven effective habits of highly successful people, right? And then we start doing that stuff. Now, these, these things aren't bad, okay? These things aren't bad. But what happens is, is now we've even got to the point where that's been brought into the church and our, our spiritual plans are not spiritual. They're, they're very human, very humanistic sometimes, very self-help, very self-directed and motivated, and they're not leading us to God. Everything you do, you go start a business your direction for that should be, God, I am being obedient to you. If you just say, I think it would be a good idea to start a business, I personally think that's a very bad idea. But if God says to you, you can do this, let's do this together, 
you'll be fine. You'll be good. Because why? It's his plan. It's not your plan. And when you do his plan, it's amazing what he accomplishes. So that everything that we do, we say, okay, God, how can I figure out the plan? Well, what's the plan? Where does it start with? It starts with God. So we're going we're gonna to unpack some of this. The first thing, God has a plan for you. A lot of these scriptures um, we use uh, regularly in the church to talk about this. I'm going to use one of the most common, one of the most popular scriptures that has to do with God has a plan for you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you future and to hope. And here's what I've, I've seen more times than not. Very rarely do people use this scripture in a proper context. Okay? We pull that scripture out, maybe add verse 12 to it, but we pull this scripture out and we make it our little um, scripture for the day, a little jewel for the day. The problem with that is we then also define how this works. So when it says that they are plans for good, we define good in our life. We define that. Now, that's not always bad. Guys, you've got to at least a little bit own the fact that in our culture and our understanding, our, our definition of good is probably not the same definition of, of good for God around the world. You understand what I'm saying? This is, this is the way I always define this. You, you can tell this is one of a few different kind of litmus tests or, um, or qualifiers for whether uh, God's word is theologically, or what, the way you're understanding God's word is theologically accurate. If what you're getting from God's word is true, no matter where in time you drop in or where on the planet you drop in, then, then it's probably true. It's probably God's word. But if it does not work um, 900 years ago in the middle of India, then it may not be God's word. It might not be true. Because God's word is transcendent, it's eternal, and it's for everybody from the beginning of Adam and Eve until the future we have not uh, experienced yet. God's word is true, the same, and consistent through all that stuff. So if our plans for good are predominantly, and this is an American um, uh, uh, natural go-to, if our plans, if God's plans for good for us are based around money, that might not be what God is trying to do. Not that money will not be included. I talked about that last week. God will bless us financially. But that's, I just don't think that's God's primary goal, but it, become, it has become the American church goal. That, that if God's blessing us, it must be about money. Or at least start there. So you take something like, well, I believe that God wants me to have that new car. Now, that can be an independent thing that God has spoke to you but that's not theologically accurate around the rest of the world. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Plans for good and not for disaster. How do we define disaster? That also can be very limited in American thinking. What is disaster? How do we define disaster? Because that can be defined very, very different to someone in the underground church in China. A lot of their regular, everyday living, we would consider disastrous. And this is their everyday life, right? <clears throat> so then, to give you future and a hope, how do we define that? Is it the way God defines it? So let's, let's actually unpack this scripture in a, in a better way. Let's use it in context, because this is, this is the way you're supposed to do this with scripture. It's, it's very challenging when we pull a scripture out and we read that and we say, well, that's my scripture. Well, what's the, what's the context of it? Okay, one of my favorite scriptures is Habakkuk uh, 1.5. And it says um, that uh, God is going to do something so great that he couldn't even tell you ahead of time because you wouldn't believe him. All right? But if you go look at that scripture and you go read it, because I, I believe that and I hold to it for different things. But if you actually go read it, the whole thing is about him bringing destruction upon his people. Right? And then he says right in the middle of that. Now, this is in the middle of destruction mentality. He says, I'm going to do something so amazing, you wouldn't even believe it if I told you ahead of time. This didn't give you cars. This is pestilence. Right? So, <clears throat> verse 8, 
of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Now, here's the context. They've been, they've been um, captured by the Babylonian people, and they are now captive slaves to the Babylonian people. And what's happening is, is all the prophets in the church are all saying that we are going to be in, in a slavery very, very short period of time. The Lord is about to rescue us like tomorrow. The Lord's about to rescue us. That we're, that we're being persecuted, but, but uh, it's going to, we're quickly, God is about to deliver us, about to deliver us, okay? God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and your fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. doesn't matter what the prophets are saying. God says you're going to be in this, um, in this captivity, in this slavery for 70 years. And God had prophesied that to them much before this time too, by the way. This isn't new information now that they got captured. God had been telling them this was happen- about to happen. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He is saying this to them while they are in captivity. They are in slavery, and he's saying, I have some pretty good plans for you. They're good plans. Now, that, does, that, that disagrees with most of the way we look at Christianity in American context. Well, you, God can't be in charge of your life if you're in captivity. But, it's, but this is what the Scripture is saying. And here's something else to process. There are going to be people that are being prophesied to about this that will die before the 70 years is up. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. As this, is, this is now where we're getting to the meat of this. Jeremiah 29, 11 is very important. It's good for us to see this. But some of this other scripture that's uh, with this and attached to this is where, is where the deeper reasoning, understanding is coming from. During your captivity, all of the things that you think are about to happen and you're being prophesied about and everybody's telling you everything's going to be good, those things are not going to happen. But I will be with you. I have plans for you. And when you pray, I will hear you. This is why I always bring up the scripture in Revelation that talks about that, um, that, that our prayers are in this big bowl and that God can see our prayers. And the angel is mixing incense with our prayers. He can see, the angel can see our prayers. But also, John, who's writing Revelation, can look into that and he sees our prayers. They're real things that can be seen. I'm having, I'm having some... some very um, providential conversations with people. I, I'm getting as much, as much as I'm getting people like at the Capitol and in political circles and stuff looking to me as representative, they'll come to me, other representatives, other people, even from the other side. Um, <clears throat> they will come to me, and this is how, the, when the conversation starts like this, my ears always pick up. They'll say, um, I, I know you're representative, but I need to talk to you as a pastor. And now, hey, I'm interested, because that's really what I am. This representative side hustle I got going, it's temporary. I'm a pastor. And I've had, I've had people that are so to the end of the rope and broken saying, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what my life is about. And then I get to spend some nice, good quality time just pastoring and ministering and praying with them. I'm never going to, if you say something like that to me, you're not getting out of my presence without me praying for you. It's not going to happen. And, and talking and really processing this stuff. And, and so, you, so these are the moments when you've got to be careful. Well, if you change all your political stances, that has nothing to do with this conversation. This conversation is somebody that is hungry for God, and they may not just know it. And some, are they do know it, but, they're, but they're, they're kind of lost in this. Where do I get to? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I breathing? Because there's a God that is so big and so amazing. And here's what I get to tell them. If you'll talk to God, he'll listen to you. He'll listen. 
That's a real thing. That's not some figment. That's not some fable. This is, he will listen to you. As I have been there many, many times, and I feel like God's not listening. God's forsaking me and, forsaking me and all these other things. I understand what that feels like. More than I can tell you, I understand what that feels like. I don't, I don't, have, the way to, I don't have the ability to verbalize it properly. But here's what I know. God will listen to you because he listened to me. Even when I didn't think it, he was. In fact, I've been, I've been so mad at God sometimes. I, I, I mean, to the point where I, I can't leave him because I just can't, right? But where I just won't talk to God for a while. That'll show him. Right? <laughs> That's what Linda, when we first got married, she told me that one time. She was mad at me. She says, I'm not talking to you. I was like, I didn't know that's what it, how easy that was. <laughs> that's all it took. But I missed it deeply, and I needed her to talk to me. But, but you know, th- this is the thing is, God, God can handle you being mad at him. He can. Just know he's listening to you. So if you're mad, tell him, because he is listening. And not only is he listening, he, he's he, you don't see it because you're mad and you're God this. Why, why aren't you doing this for me? And, and, and I, you first say, the whole time he's going, yeah, yeah. And he's wrapping his arms around you. And he's protecting you from all this stuff. And he goes, I know, I know. I'm, I haven't treated you properly. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. No, no. I get. And then pretty soon he's squeezing you in closer, squeezing you. And the whole time we're like, and God, everybody else has got this and they're doing this. And I'm struggling with this. And he's like, I know. I know. And pretty soon he's got you right here, and, he, and, he, and he's holding you tight, and you're still like, and God, I, where are you? I can't even feel your presence. I don't even know where you are, Lord God. And he's like, I know. I know. Just get it all out. <laughs> right? I've been there. I know what that feels like. And, I, and I, yeah, I'm making it funny, but I know how difficult that is, how stressing that can be. He says, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. This is exactly the language Paul uses in, a, in a Acts 17. When he's talking about, you, you have this unknown God, let me tell you. And then he says, you're feeling around in the dark, but don't worry, God will find you, or you will find God. He says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I'll gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I'll bring you home again to your own land. Now, I'm going to address two things, and I know <clears throat> some of you may. I, don't, I haven't had conversations with you guys about this, but I know that this, some of you may, may be irritating to you, okay? I want you to listen to what I'm saying, process it, go home and pray about it, right? I might be wrong. No, I'm not even going to say that. I'm not wrong, okay? This is important. <clears throat> There's a... There's a major theology that's been floating around the country, and it's very strong in the churches in Colorado Springs. It's become very strong. These are, for the most part, these are larger churches that this is becoming very um, popular, okay? There's versions of it from almost innocuous to very dangerous, so I'm going to kind of explain this a little bit. But um, this idea of the seven mountains, seven mountains theology, Okay, the reason you don't hear me preach about this and stuff is this. I'm going to explain it. The basic understanding of the seven mountains, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look it up, hopefully later. But is there are seven major areas of society, education, politics, commerce, all these major areas of society, seven of them. And the ch- it is the church's responsibility, and I believe this part is biblically true and founded, Okay. The church is supposed to be in those arenas and engaging in those arenas. Okay? By the way, one of them is politics, and I believe Scripture is very clear. You should be involved in politics as a Christian. All right? But there's these seven mountains. We're supposed to be involved in this stuff. The, the theology goes on to say if, if the church will step into these seven mountains and take control and authority in all seven mountains, and it can be done like in a local level in a city or a state or something like that, but when the church gets involved in these seven mountains and gets to the point where they are in the authority in these seven mountains, this is the last of the theology, and this part is not accurate, is then Jesus will come back. Okay? Now, most churches that I'm talking to, pastor friends, 
that I know are preaching and teaching this stuff, they're not going all the way to the end of it. Some of them do, and that's where it's dangerous. But, but um, I'll tell them, you understand, there's not any biblical precedence for this. There is not a nirvana on the horizon for the church. There's not scriptural precedence for that. We do, believe, we do see in Scripture where <clears throat> there's going to be times when, when there's going to be um, mass influx into the kingdom of God, a lot of salvations. But that's not the same thing. That is not what this theology is about. There, there is no basis for if we get involved in politics, Jesus comes back. There's no basis for that. I think we're supposed to be because we're responsible to God for our community and for the... I'm telling you guys, I'm up there every single day and they're voting in some of the most vile, evil stuff every single day. And most of us in our cities have no clue and don't really care. But they're taking away your children's rights. They're making it more available for your children to have... One of the ones we just voted in this last week is to have more um, access two children from psychologists for psychotropic drugs without parental permission. That's two or three bills all put together, but that's the, the thing. And, and we're just going, ah, it doesn't matter. That's politics. And they're taking our kids and our schools and they're killing our babies, taking our rights. So, yes, I think we're supposed to be involved, but don't confuse that with if we get involved, then, it, then we graduate into some kind of nirvana and Jesus comes back. Okay, if we take over Wall Street, then Jesus comes back. That's not scriptural. The Bible says when we preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, Jesus will come back. That's what it says. This is a very dangerous theology, in my opinion, because it it puts a uh, false hope in one direction instead of a submission to God in the correct direction. Which is, why do we want to take over Wall Street? Well, I don't even know if we need to take over Wall Street. But why do we want to get involved in commerce in our community? Because Jesus is the king, and he's given us the wisdom and understanding of how to interact in that. The church should be leading the way in these things. But we haven't been. And we're not. But the reason is because we're submitting to God, and we're saying, God, where do you want to take us? If you're a financial person, God's going to take you that direction. All right? But what is the plan? Ultimate plan is, God, I'm looking to you. I'm surrendering to you. Here's another one that's gotten, uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, it's starting to get a lot of uh, media right now in the church world. I started saying this a few years ago. Um, I told you I went to a conference that, um, uh, that Andy Stanley was speaking at, and Andy Stanley explained it. I sat there and listened to him, because I've had people since, since, oh, he never said that. I was sitting in the room. I heard him with mine own ears. Church it up a little bit there. But he said, we need, the church has got to stop um, putting the Bible at the center of what we're doing. We've got to stop making the Bible the direction. It's our personal testimony. That's the importance. And then he said, this is, his, this is a quote. He said, the church has got to stop defending the 66 archaic books that we started this thing with. Okay, now, what is, what is happening right now? Over the last couple of weeks, there's video out there like crazy about this. Immediately, some pastors in the city and some other people, when this started happening, started sending me the stuff left and right, videos from this group, videos from this group, of uh, some teaching that um, Andy Stanley just did where he basically, and you have to watch the videos to get the context, because he starts nice and then he ends strong in a negative way. But basically, he said the church has got to rethink how we're looking at homosexuality because it's not a sin. Now, this is one of the strongest voices in Christianity in America. Okay? Why am I saying this? Your plan, your personal spiritual plan must come from God, not people. I get up here and preach something. You better go back to God's word, go back to talking to him and say, God, what are you saying? Specifically, if something I say doesn't catch you right. Now, if something I say doesn't catch you right to the point where you think, I think that's heresy. Come talk to me, okay? I, I, I'm not in the habit of heresy, so uh, you might want to vet it before you make up your mind about how it works for you and I, our relationship. But go check out what I'm saying with God, not... If I say something, that's not your plan. 
That's a suggestion from God's word of your plan. Where does your plan come from? God, his word. Where does your direction come from? God, his word. Now, there are certain things that are consistent for all of us that we're supposed to be doing. That's this whole foundation stuff I've been talking about these last few weeks. That stuff has got to be consistent with all of us. The reason the church is struggling is because those things are not consistent. And we've got to make sure prayer, God's word, holiness, these things are, are established within us as the people of God. Why? Because Jesus says that stuff. When it comes to how can we develop a plan or something like that, get before God and figure this out. God's, God's plan is much more spiritually intertwined. I'm saying like your business plan is much more spiritually intertwined than sometimes we think. Your family plan, spiritually intertwined. God's the one who created everything. God created everything. He created every currency. He created every idea of what we would call jobs and things like this. People talk about, man, we're moving so fast, and we got satellites and all this other kind of stuff. And like, like all of a sudden, God's floating around out in heaven, and it bumps into a satellite. What's that? He, he knows what everything is, okay? He knew satellites before we knew stick fire, right? So, so I think he's big enough to handle you in your workplace, in your situation, but make sure that your plan starts with him. Third John verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Now, this is out of the New King James because the New Living only says that you would prosper in health. I mean, not, uh, yeah, in health. Um, that you would be in good health. And that is not correct. The Greek has two different uh, statements there, two different words there. That we would be prosperous and in good health. Okay? The New Living just puts it together. You know I love the New Living. I think it's very accurate. But that's a, that's a no-no they did there. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health. Now, here's the qualifier, because how we think prosper in all things may not necessarily be how God thinks about prosper in all things. And he says, the qualifier for you prospering in all things and being in good health is just as your soul prospers. That's his priority for you. That as your soul prospers, that he wants the things in your life, you know, like the, the, the high tide raises all boats. He wants everything else to be settled on your soul prospering. And as your soul prospers, as your soul grow, uh, draws closer to the Lord, as your personal relationship with God deepens and, and you're pursuing him, then everything else in your life begins to rise also. That's, that's his balance. And we try to focus like on one thing. Well, God, if I'll get this done. So God, take care of this and handle this. And, and we're fixating on this. And God is saying, yeah, but I'm fixating on you, the individual inside. And I want you to grow closer to me. And as you grow closer to me, I'm going to take care of all the stuff. Even give you a business plan and everything. And I'll show you that. Jeremiah 1.5. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And I believe this is for every one of us. God wants you to be a prophet to the nations. That comes first. His plan for you is very specifically wrapped around that. Before you were born, I determined, I set you apart to be a voice of prophecy to the nations. So here is, here is the, um, the, the spiritual being seen through the pragmatic. Okay, So uh, number three, look to the Lord for, to his plan every single day. That his plan every day should be your direction. Well, what is his plan? He's going to have a business plan for you. If you're, if you're a plumber and you say, I want to start my own plumbing business. Okay. The first thing I think Scripture tells us that you need to do is you need to get before God, submit yourself to the Lord, and say, Lord, what are you telling me to do? What is this thing about? What is it for? See, a lot of times we say, well, I think, you know, I'm good at plumbing, so maybe I should just start a plumbing business. Well, that's not bad thinking. The problem is, is it might not be right thinking. God, is, did God tell you to do that? Did God not? So if God says, I'm leading you to do this, that's a totally different subject. I'm leading you to do this. You should be a plumber, start your own business. Now you got a good uh, understanding because why? God created water. It's a good place to start. God created sewer with our help, but God creates all this stuff. So a plumber that stuff is all in God's uh, hands. So, so as a, I feel like I'm really going the wrong direction with all this right now. But 
electricity. So as an electrician, <laughs> God is telling you, do this. Then you say, okay, God, what's the plan? Since he, he made all that stuff, since all that stuff's out there and he made it, God, what's the plan? Then as he begins to unfold the plan, you'll be amazed at how the business model begins to um, evolve from that. Because why? You're pursuing God and his voice. You're pursuing his existence. And all of a sudden, he's giving you ideas for your business. He's giving you the structure and he's giving you the design, everything. Look at this. Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban. Now, you know, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, he went to go marry Rachel, fell in love with Rachel and stuff. And at the wedding, so, so you guys may not see this, but we do this all the time. In weddings, that we don't have the veils as much, but the concept of pulling the veil up was for marriages for thousands of years and still existing in many countries around the world even today, the people didn't know, the, the groom had never seen the bride before the wedding. Did you know that? They were arranged marriages. This family over here got with this family over here, and the, the parents or the uncles, different cultures are different. They talked about this in many, many countries around the world. Both of the pastors that we've had at our church in India, both had arranged marriages. Both of them. And so I try to ask questions without messing thought processes up with American thinking. I'm like, so did you ever see them ahead of time? Yeah, I saw her once across a room. Hmm. And you're okay with that? What do you mean okay with that? See, that's American thinking, right? But the veil, that's the first time you've seen it. So when, when um, and the story with Rachel and Leah is, uh, Jacob didn't even figure it out until later when they were, so, so that's the story. So he says to his father-in-law, please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children for I've, I've earned for I've earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I've worked for you. Please listen to me, Laban replied. I've become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. The next sentence should have said, and because you're my son-in-law and these are my daughters, well, how can I help you go back to your home and do whatever? But see, uh, Jacob had been a cash cow for Laban. Laban didn't want Jacob to leave. He says, I know you've made a lot of money for me. Let's, let's just keep it that way. Verse 28, he says, tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. But you're staying here, Jack. That's what he meant. Jacob replied, you know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You, have little, you had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through me, through everything I've done. But now what about me? What can I start providing for my own family? What wages do you want? That's not what he's asking. I want to go and make my own mark on the world. Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do this one thing and I'll continue to watch over your flocks. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled and spotted along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you have given me as my wages, you'll see that I have been honest. If you find in my flock any goats <clears throat> without speckles or spots or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I've stolen them from you. Now, this is his father-in-law, and he's about to do some underhanded stuff to him. L let me give you a little bit of just advice, knowledge, wisdom that you already know. There are mean people out there that are going to hurt you. There are people that are going to do things intentionally to try to hurt you. Sometimes people do things accidentally. This was not accident what he's about to do. There are mean people out there that are going to do mean things to you. But that doesn't change who God is. And that doesn't change God's power and ability to do something. When God tells you something, if you'll do it and you'll be obedient to him, it's amazing what he can do and keep consistent in the process. He, God's not limited to people. Now, it seems that way short-term sometimes. I mean, half of Psalms is David saying, all the bad people are winning, God. So we know that's a reality. But that doesn't change God. All right, Laban replied, it'll be as you say. But that very day, Laban went out and removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted, 
All the female goats that were speckled or spotted and spotted or had white patches and all the black sheep. He placed them in the care of his own sons. That's not very nice, Laban. Sometimes family will even hurt you. I know some of you are like, what? Unless you're three years old, you know family can hurt you. Sometimes it's even intentional. But that doesn't change God. He placed them in the care of his own sons who took them a three days journey for where Jacob was. Meanwhile, Jacob stayed and cared for the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob stuck with the plan even though Laban just undermined the entire plan. Then Jacob took some fresh branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and peeled off strips of bark marking white streaks on them. Then he placed these peeled branches in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, for that was where they mated. And when they mated in front of the white streaked branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Now, I've read all kinds of stuff about this. People, scientists, goat farmers, that, are all, that everybody has an idea of how this scientifically worked. Okay? Tear off a piece of bark and you put it in front of that goat, and that goat is going to have certain kind of, it's going to have bark-stripped babies or something. Guys, this, that's not the How many times in Scripture does God do something like this that has nothing to do with making sense scientifically? Right? Peter walked on water, splaying that one. There's all kinds of, uh, uh, Moses hit a rock with a, with a staff. I sat in a seminary class one time where they were explaining, well, he must have hit it at the right point for that fissure to come out of that rock. Or that. What? Why can't we just say God did it? Good job. That wasn't that hard. All kinds of miracles that God does. The ark goes down into the water and the waters part. That, that, that doesn't make sense scientifically. God's the one that's in charge. Because why am I saying this? Because sometimes God will give you a plan that makes no sense. It can't be vetted properly. It's not going to make sense. And the people around you will say, this doesn't make sense. But God told you to do it, so you've got to do it. And when you do it, it's amazing what he does. He can do the miracles, all the different stuff. And when they made it in front of these things, the young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted, Jacob separated those lambs from Laban's fox. At mating time, he turned the flock to face Laban's animals that were streaked or black. This is how he built his own flock instead of increasing Laban's. This, it would be the same as you, some of you young parents, you're trying to have kids. Get a big old pound of bacon. Put that in your room. <laughs> you have a friend there with you. Does that change your children? No. It could. Hopefully it does. Whenever the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches in the watering troughs in front of them. Then they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones. So the weaker lambs belonged to Laban and the stronger ones were Jacob's. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy. This is his business model. Jacob's business model was goofy but it was supernaturally given to him. How about, the, how about the war model of let's walk around the city blowing trumpets? That We'll win this thing for sure doing this. How about the, how about the war model that says let's take thousands of soldiers that we're going to fight tens of thousands of soldiers and let's whittle it down to 300. And I've heard many things over the years that, that God knew that uh, those were the 300 that were really going to fight, that they were focused because of the way that... Do you really think those 300 won the battle? God won the battle. God wins your battle if you'll let him, if you'll put him first and say, God, what is my plan? What's my business model? What's my family model? What's my parenting model? What's what? God, I- I'm going to follow your model and your plan. But we jump too easily. We jump into what... Okay, well, I know this, I can do this, I know this, I can do this. I've had so many conversations with pastors over the years. If you'll stop all your business models and you just get on your face before God, it's amazing what God can do. It's amazing how he can lead people through you. It's amazing how he can speak through you and other people's lives are changed. 
Because why? Guys, what is our mission statement here at Church of Briargate? That we're going to supernaturally draw close to God and bring as many others along with us as possible. Again, we're never, ever going to have a church growth plan. We're going to have a personal growth plan and a kingdom growth plan. God will take care of the church stuff. Some of you are going to have to sit on the front row. Here's what our plan, I think, needs to be built around. I'm saying business models and everything. You say, you're not giving me anything that has to do with that. If you listen, I really am. Here's the things that it must include, the things I've been talking about the last few weeks. Your plan's got to include prayer. What is your prayer plan? What is your word of God plan? What is your holiness plan? Next week, I'm going to talk about worship. What's your worship plan? What's your financial obedience to God plan? We've got to be walking in the Spirit, seeking, as Paul said, earnestly seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do that, and it's amazing what God can do through all of us. Why don't you stand with me? God, we submit ourselves to you right now. God, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our bodies, our, our resources, our direction, God, we submit all that to you. That, Lord, we need you to be in charge. That we need you to be king. So, Lord, I pray for every, every marriage in this room. I pray for uh, every parent in this room. Kids at home, kids not at home. Pray for every child in this room, even if it's a grown one. Lord, I pray that you speak into our spirit. You've got a plan. You speak into our spirit. I pray for every business owner in this room. God, you've got a plan. We just need to get to that. That God, as we're praying for our business, we'll look up, we'll look around, we'll see you, Jesus, and we'll head that direction. As parents, as we're praying for our kids, we'll look up, look around, we'll see you, Jesus, and we'll head that direction. God, in our marriages, we'll see you, Jesus, and we'll head that direction. At our workplaces, in the companies we work for, Lord, we will see you, Jesus, and we will head that direction, and we will be the best workers in that company. We'll do the best we can to make that company successful because we work for you. We'll head that direction. In our, in our financial approach to life, Lord, we're going to look to you, Jesus, and we're going to head that direction. And then you'll give us whatever model we need. You'll give us whatever financial plan we need. God, as the different people that are going to be taking Financial Peace University, Lord, help them see some of this. Help them to get it in their spirit that if they will head for you and be obedient to you, it's amazing what they can do. And then, yeah, you can make us wealthy. And I believe that you even want to sometimes. That God, most important, help our souls to prosper. Help our souls to prosper. In the name of Jesus. God, for everyone here, show them the plan. Show them how it fits. Show them how the pieces work together that you've designed. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, all through this room, speak into people's hearts, minds. Help them to see what direction they're going and how they need to change that or adopt it or, God, something that puts them on trajectory with you. even something you can do at lunch today, right? Pull out your phone, you got your notepad, and um, kids, you guys can do this, teenagers, you can do this, your family's sitting at lunch today, pull out your notepad and say, mother, father, what's our plan? And then wait, 
wife, husband, what's our plan? Let's talk about this. Write some stuff down. What's our plan for the kids? And it's not send them off to a boarding school. That's not the, let's, what's our plan, okay? That's the homework, all right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity. Let somebody know Jesus loves them. He's going to give you the chance. Tell somebody about Jesus. God, honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.